Thunder Nerds are go. So, have you uh, been kind of watching the the news with Doctor Who as of late, or no? I'm totally a lost as to any. Nothing. News. I've been pretty much living a hermit lifestyle in terms of Doctor Who. You'd have to um, you'd have to fill me in, be the messenger, Indigo. Okay, I shall. It has been busy though, hasn't it? It has been very busy of late. Um, the Doctor Who news has slowed down immensely. So I didn't do. I haven't been covering it, but there was there was one substantial piece of news. I'm just gonna I'm gonna check myself to see if there's any other bits of news though before we hit hit off with this one. Um, I'll just quickly do the rounds because there might have been some little things happening. There were some filming pictures that were yeah. happening, but um, and there was there there you know there has been a lot of talk about uh Doctor Who being Disneyfied. Mm. Uh, there's been there's producers have been hitting back, and it, it, in fact there was um. An interview that I read, uh, I think it was um, Joe Collins, and it was just in the SFX magazine that just came out recently, and he goes, oh, like, you know, obviously a lot of fans had their um, concerns about this, that, and the other, about Doctor Who potentially being Disney-fied and that, and he goes, that had only happened if um, it wasn't being made by Russell. And I'm I'm like I read it and went, that doesn't uh, fill me with a lot of hope for when Russell, like how long is Russell hanging around? You know, that I feel like that still doesn't answer the question of like, well, once he's gone, he has to, he has to go. Like, will 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 the streaming deal outlast his tenure? Here's the thing: so, Disneyfication is not. It's not a downward force from the executives pressuring people i think it's just it's more like a culture around mm. disney properties i feel it's it, it seeps okay. into properties the the thing that that um made me turn my head a little bit when russell's the something that russell russell said specifically was when he mentioned the marvel franchise and the the multiverse mm. crap that they're doing right now, all that, all that gigantic clusterfuck, and he used that as a specific example of what he'd like Doctor Who to move towards. That for me is the Disneyfication of Doctor Who. Not even it's not a an, it's not an overt malicious thing. Mm. It's not even a it's not even necessarily from powers above. You know, in in suits that are that are forcing these changes. It's just a this weird thing that is happening to a lot of different properties. Mm. You know, this it it's it's kind of like a black hole that things get sucked into. That's how I look at it. Yeah. So it's not like saying, oh, Russell's in in charge, so it won't happen. Well, I don't know. You mm. can, you could argue that um there are there are other like um showrunners for other properties for Star Wars, you know, for example. True. It's not it's not the, the the Disney executives that are that are writing these shows, but yet a lot of these properties are falling victim to the same black hole. 
aren't they? I suppose. I mean, do you not think that there's some kind of Disney etiquette that that's followed, like the the formula we've talked about? Of if it works, well, the formula's works, there. Like, the etiquette's there. I think definitely, like there are probably standards there. I'd imagine, but mm. that's for me the 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 pressing issue is not even that so much. It's just everything is starting to feel very similar yeah. in uh, pop culture, in, in TV, in my opinion, especially with like science fiction. It's getting a similar glaze. Yep. Everything's got a similar veneer and this whole multiverse stuff is kind of um, seeping its way through everything. And I feel Doctor Who potentially could move towards that, you know, fan service sort of... Um, direction maybe what do you think yeah i i i mean i I really don't know to be honest i i don't know what to think i mean i guess how many episodes what how would you so far is there signs of disnification um yes yes there is i would say yes absolutely overtly and and subtly i'd say absolutely there is it's hard to it's hard to deny that the signs are there um is there anything that I've, I've, I've flat out, you know, gone, oh, that's, that's too far in terms of what I would class as disunification. I don't think so, but I do think it's there. I think, I think it's as clear as the goblins in the Christmas special, the beep, the meep, I think feels of that ilk, I suppose. Uh, I think the signs are there. Um, You're seeing like the first. It's like the first seedlings, isn't it? That's what it feels like. Oh, exactly. You're seeing, you're seeing the first, um. Mm. Yeah, the first seedling. That's that's a good way to put it. You yeah, know, it's not necessarily a whole thing yet. Um, yeah, how do you? And it's been a concern from day dot. I think. I think people have definitely had the concern from the beginning, and so naturally, people, I suppose, uh, they magnify it, don't they? They put the magnifying glass over and go like, "Let's have a look." And and I think the signs are yeah. I mean, it, it definitely feels tonally extremely different, I would say, to to the Whittaker era. And, I mean, it feels more like in in, in terms of just, it's definitely more in line with like the date that that's, well, the specials we saw, this, I'm talking about the specials now, not, not the Christmas special, like the three tenant specials felt more in line with like series four tonally. But I definitely think that there's, Things that are in the show at the moment that I feel have not really ever been there, and you, it's hard not to kind of, mm. kind of link it with Disney, I, I guess. Mm. But anyway, I want us to put on mm. our um, I want us to put on our deductive reasoning hats. Okay, uh, Thunderdodes. I want us to really get into the weeds of mm. the logic of being a showrunner. Mm-hmm. If you're a showrunner for a show, and you've got a new um set of you've got a new production company attached to give you money to mm. create the show. And it's more a, money a than... You've, no more money than you've ever had. You've got a new, you know, stream of cash coming in, mm. unbelievable amount. If you get a question from from someone saying, hey, like in an interview saying, hey, how are you safeguarding against um, Doctor Who becoming disney for example? If you're the showrunner, are you, do you really think you're going to say... Oh yeah, like it's definitely a concern. Like we're gonna be 
Doctor Who's changing people. It's going to be, it's going to be exactly like Marvel and, and Star Wars. It's going to, it's going to change people. It's not going to be the same Doctor Who you all love. No, he's not going to say that. Like, he can't say that. He's mm. going to say, no, it's, it, the buck stops with me. He's going to say that. Now, he might be sincere, but the point is, he can't, there's nothing, there's no other way he can, he can put it. Mm. It has to be said that way. So, it's like, it's kind of, you, you, you can't, you have to take it with a bit of a pinch of salt, I think. Mm. You know you know what I mean? Yeah, that's, yeah, That's I how I put yeah. it. We're going to, uh, so, so where do we, where do we draw, well, not draw the line in the sense, sorry, let's, let's just say, where do we make our determination next? Do What's we... the line? What's the line that they cross? Hmm. I think. I'm not sure Where you say, okay, is. this is not just a coincidence. Oh. This is not just culture changing. Like, mm. the culture always changes. It's, this is the mouse putting his hands in his pockets and pulling out the cash mm. and doing a little bit of a dirty deal with Russell mm. and saying, Russell- you got to do this, mate. Otherwise, you're not getting any of this Mickey Mouse cash. What 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 is that? What is that line, Indigo? I don't know what that line is, but I I, I suppose that if we were to talk about the next, yeah, I'm not sure where that line would be. I'm I'm really having to think about that. But I for me, I think that if you commit to the whole, the whole like oh. Every doctor by regenerated down the line, and it's canon, and we're going to do stuff with that. I think that that's going to a, a place that I don't. I think it's far too contrived for Doctor Who. Personally, I just, I just think it. Mm. I think I actually think we've got too many doctors now. Which, even if they had never done the Fugitive Doctor, they'd never done the War Doctor. They were still going to get to a point where there was going to be a lot of doctors if the show kept going, but I just feel like we use up doctors, un, in a very unnecessary way. For for like for instance, let's just we'll just talk about these. The war doctor gets used as a full regeneration. Mm. That's counted as a, mm. uh, it's not a number per se, but it is actually one of his numbered regenerations. You understand what I'm saying mm. when I say that, which is already in a way, contrived, right? Because now you're going, oh, he's not a numbered doctor, just so we don't break all the toy merchandising and stuff, Man. but but he is a, yeah. he is, it counts, right? So let's do that. Man. Then David Tennant's regeneration, we find out, was actually counted. The one where he like, um, where he cheats death in a way. We find yes. M- yep. Moffat, Moffat decides that he wants to be the writer, no, not knowing if he'll, how long he'll stay, not knowing if he'll stay for all of Capaldi's run, decides he wants to be the writer that answers the question, like what happens when the Doctor uh, uses all his regenerations. And so he does it by saying, oh, when Tenet regenerated, that counted, right? So now you've got another one. So technically there's three Tenet Doctors, four actually, if you really want to go down that line of thinking, right? Then you've got the Fugitive Doctor, then you've got the tenant doctor that arrives in the specials that's only there for three episodes. Like, I just think we burn through the numbering thing 
way too fast and it's contrived and you try and get a new person involved and go, oh, by the way, that one's a secret doctor. Mm. Oh, that one's like, actually, we're not sure. Could be like uh, season 6B. Could be before William Hartnell. We're, we're not sure. Oh, and then Tennant used this up. Oh, and then he comes back. It's like, dude, this is way too contrived. People, the BBC scoff down regenerations like fucking peanut M&Ms mm. telling you. It's... It's it's indulgent, and I feel like it's too much. <laughs> I feel like the, the the red line is is this: if we start getting every season digitally recreated doctors, you know, multi doctor special every every fucking season. If we get mm. David Tennant popping his head in every now and then, if we if we start seeing that, That's- God forbid, if we see if we see a crossover mm. with like another property oh, don't. down the line. Don't. That is Disneyfication to the T, people. Mm. That's what it is. Crikey, I've never really thought about that. But, hey, I was going to say, do you think I saw a photo um, the other day, which I've seen before, but, like, it's just it was just cool to look at again. And Oh, and it was a photo of, like, the um, the Abbey Road uh, image, but it was it was mocked up with the first four Doctors. Walking yeah. across the Abbey Road crossing, and I was looking at it, and I was like, oh, "Man, how cool are the first four Doctors? Like, you've got William Hartnell, right? This old kind of dude, this old grumpy dude. You got this cosmic hobo, this small little weirdo, and then you've got this big cool Alpha and John Pertwee, like the Double O Seven kind of Doctor." And then you've got this bohemian madman in Tom Baker, and they're yeah. all at different heights, and they're all the same guy, and they've all got crazy-looking yeah. different different kind of looks. And I looked at them all and went, that was a golden age, wasn't yeah. it? Like, that's a golden tr- age yeah. of Doctors in a row. Will you ever see four Doctors that cool in a row? Like, a, I, um, in succession? Yeah, it's hard. I think they definitely are the four... <sighs> big archetypes mm. and they're probably the best examples of those archetypes mm. of doctors mm. like you said the grumpy one the the the, the you know the, the the funny little hobbit that runs around you've got you the suave one mm. and then you've got the fucking weirdo with with piercing eyes like yeah. those those are the archetypes and they really do they they um are the definitive versions of them i i think they are the best line that's the best series of doctors and look i've made it no secret i've never made no secret of people i think i think davidson's a huge step down from from tom baker okay so you don't really get another series like that of un you know of just goats in a row i think you know arguably i I, I think people love mm, mm. i was gonna say like definitely there would be people that would argue that like Eccleston to Capaldi. Is, oh, is I was about a, to say that. But, like, yeah. but I, I know what totally. you mean. Like, I, I, for me, I have never, and I know you've made no secret of it, but like, I've, I don't even mind Tennant as the Doctor, but he's he wouldn't be in my top five still. And so, like, it's a different thing with the first four because I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say William Hartnell would be in my top five, but, but, mm. but, but just that line of Doctors is so. Yeah, it's it's hard to really articulate. I mean, I guess it is the first four, isn't it? But like, they are so interesting. The eras are so interesting to me. The black and white era has always been a fascinating era of the show. Like, and it looks visually really compelling. I think. I think the black and white complements the show, and I, I would argue that 
there's stories in the heart, Alira and the Trout Near, and I'm sure people would agree that look more expensive than like some of the stories in Sylvester McCoy's era, and maybe the black and white complements it in a way. Um, I don't know. If I just, um, it's very very cool. So, <laughs> if I saw like if I saw Davidson, here's the thing: if I saw Davidson, Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy, and Paul McGann, mm. like in a lineup. Here's the thing. There's two parties. Here's the thought experiment. There's two parties you're invited to. Mm. One is hosted by the first four mm. and one is hosted by five through seven. Well, eight. Five yeah. through seven? Yeah. Five through eight. Yeah. Which party are you going to go to? Which one would you go to? Well- You'd go, you'd go to one through- You'd go yeah, to you'd the go one, to one that's hosted by yeah. fucking one, th- one through four. You wouldn't, you wouldn't go to no. the Davidson party, would you? No. I think. No. You'd, you'd have to pick the one through four. Yeah, I think so. I guess if you were to use that thought experiment, though, and then do nine to twelve, that is a difficult. That is no, that is that good is, though. That is more difficult. Well. Like that is difficult though, because I know mm. I know tenants there, and you know he's not in our top five, but I wouldn't say Hartnell is either, and, and Capelli and and Chris are freaking cool, man. Like that would yeah. be they're pretty badass. It's like they're that so cool. Like Capelli and Chris are so goaded. Mm. They lift up. I, I, and Smith's already 11, cool uh, as well. I Smith thought. is cool, but he's still not in my top five. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but yep. he is good. Yep, yep. You're right. It's just, but I, I feel like that. one through four are just more consistently goaded. Yeah, I think Does you're right. Sense? No, that's true. It's like they're more consistently, but it's almost. I would love to hang out with each one of them. Yeah. Maybe not William Hartle as much. Yeah, yeah I agree. Like with that. he'd be fine. Like you'd be, you know. But I think, yeah, you know, just fucking listening to the second doctor just tell you a story you Be know cool, just yeah it's like it's like that tomb in like the scene in tomb where he's talking to victoria about like i'm saying his fa- it's he's just got like a way with words it almost puts you to sleep with his wonderful stories literally he's, like i'll just just fucking and then and you can imagine you can imagine like you can you can imagine you can imagine like um john pertwee being like Yes, my boy, I'll tell you about that time on Titan 3. I wrestled us on Titan. Like, you could Literally, see, it'd be, like, like, so exciting. Like, yeah. be like a child, and, and then Tom would just be this And Tom would be one. like, let's duck off and go see Nova Beacon together. Like, literally, he'd, he'd just, literally, Tom he'd, would be, be like, like... sneak you out of Tom the party. Would fucking, and, Tom would, like, pull a bag of drugs out of his jacket, mate. That's what he'd do. Yeah, he wanted a laced jelly, baby. Yeah, like... I feel like Chris you know, would be, be cool. like... Oh, like... Chris would be late to the party. He'd probably leave early, too, I think. Oh yes. yeah, yeah, definitely. Maybe the one in the corner, standing in the corner, just smoking, just mysteriously. Chris, what would Ten do? Ten, he'd be God. He'd be the fucking. He'd be the cool kid. He'd be the cool kid. He'd be he'd be the popular jock. Three chicks hanging you know? off him or something. Just a jock, just just dancing and having a fucking laugh. Yeah, he's got he's he's got know. like he's got like back of the school bus energy. You know, sitting the on the back the dad. The Capelli's the dad that shows up and tells everyone to fuck right. off. Right, fuck off. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, I've got to get back to this news. I had news that I was going to get onto. We just, I just got way sidetracked there. Um, uh, what was my news that I wanted to tell you? Oh, so what do we think about this? I'm just going to bring it up now. <sighs> Millie Gibson reportedly dropped from Doctor Who. Mm. This is a bombshell. Uh, Wait, voluntarily? It doesn't sound like it. Now, I'm not sure if there's behind-the-scenes drama. I'll I'll read this article to you. Um, It was rumoured just recently 
and then it all exploded. But but there's no details on if if the words that have been thrown around have been dropped and axed. So I, I but I don't know if how much say she's had if there's behind the scenes drama with Millie on the sets or something. We we did hear months ago that there was potentially diva-ish kind of things going on behind the set, I think I remember reading, and but who knows how true any of that is, right? But I'll just read this to you. As previously reported, it appears Millie Gibson's time in the TARDIS is coming to an end and even sooner than expected. The Mirror, whose track record with Doctor Who news has been spot on of late, reports the Ruby Sunday actress has been dropped from the series. According to the report, Russell T. Davies made the decision after filming her first run, when, uh, after the filming of her first run concluded last year. Gibson is uh, said to appear in only three of the eight episodes in series 15. So this is the second season that she, she would have mm. been in. Um, which is kind of what they did with Martha Jones in the original Tenant run. It kind of sounds like she'll be there in the second season just wrapping stuff up in some episodes, but she's not going to be the main companion. Um, she will apparently be replaced by actress uh, Vereda Sethu, uh, correct me people if I'm wrong on that, who has already been spotted filming in Cardiff. Um, she's appeared in various TV adventure series, but most recently known for her Disney Star Wars spin-off and or role. And then um, a source stated that Vereda is a real gem. Russell was just blown away by her talent. Cast and crew really warmed to her, and he's sure the fans will too. Um, the BBC are yet to make an official announcement. I think Variety approached them, and they denied to comment. And then filming photos have been seen uh, of Shooty Gatwa and um, Vereda on set. Um, Shooty kind of wearing a blue suit with a white top and a kind of pink bow tie um and it looks to be set from from what people are saying in 1950s miami so that's what we're hearing but um mm, it's interesting so the circumstances not yet revealed no official comment from the bbc interesting that if nothing was wrong that for put it put it this way if nothing was wrong, if everything if everything was fine and dandy, and well, I feel like at every moment in, or at least in every along the way of filming, I would say, uh, Doctor Who in series um, fourteen, whenever they had a new actor that was going to appear, they would officially reveal them with an Instagram post and a, a press release before that actor appeared on filming location. And that hasn't happened here. They've kind of just low-key had this companion on set, like photos have come out of her on set after the reports have come out saying that she she would be replacing Millie Gibson and there's just been no talk of the dropping. So does that hint that there was something that went wrong behind set and that no one wants to talk about it? I'm not sure, but I guess we'll just follow that story as it as it breaks and see where it goes. But that's really the biggest thing that's happened in the last few weeks. The the biggest, yeah, the most notable thing. Um, mm. Very interesting. Very, bit, uh, bit, but if it's true, I guess. Well, I guess we'll have to see how the, her season. I wonder. Pans out, is, are we seeing a? Mm. Are we seeing of echoes of the old drama from season one? That's a good no. Good point. Not sure. I mean, it's if look. 
All I can say is we've only seen her in her one full story and I thought she was freaking brilliant. So it's to me, when I read it, I went, damn, that's a bit of a shame. I feel like I was only just getting to know this character and uh, we haven't even seen her first full season yet and we're finding out that she's not going to be there much longer. But I guess maybe, who you know, I had another thought. Maybe she hasn't been dropped per se, but he, he's doing... Cause he, so when Tennant came along, he had... Rose, then he had Martha, then he had Donna, right? And I did think, do you, do you, is it possible that he's like, you know, some people have, uh, apparently there's rumours going around since all of this that she wants to go back to Coronation Street. But like, mm. could it be that Russell's wanting to give Shooty Gat one more companions like he did with the era of Tenant, where they didn't really stay? Because yeah. I feel like Moffat really... I mean, Rose stayed for season one and two, but other than that, like, in the RTD era, it was a companion a season, whereas Moffat kind of had Amy there for two and a half seasons, Clara there for nearly three seasons. Like, he he did things a little bit differently in his era. And I just, I wonder, mm. like, do you think he could be, like, going, let me get through some companions faster so I can build up to, like, another Avengers-style finale where I get them all back in the one thing? kind of what he did at the end of his first era. I wonder if there's anything like that that's on the cards where it'll be like, I'll get them all back and I'll do what I did in my original run, but I'm in a bigger budget and I, I'll make a real crossover like Avengers type ending where they all fight the villain. You know, I could I could see that happening again if he if he skims through a companion a season with, with Shooty. But I guess we'll just have to see. Just interesting to think about. Food for thoughts, people. Um, we are going to review, and sorry, Thunder Nerds, but welcome back to the podcast. We're going to, that was a long intro, but we're here to review, um, we're back on board for the retrospective this week for Doctor Who. It's series one, episode six, The Long Game. Actually, I think this is episode seven. Yeah, no, this is episode seven. I think it's seven. episode seven. Yeah, yeah. it's episode seven. Episode Dalek seven. was episode six. So this one's episode seven. It's The Long Game. Russell T. Davies wrote this one. It's directed by Brian Grant, who, from what I could see, he only did this story. So to, he, he, he'd never done Doctor Who before, doesn't ever do it afterwards, right? Stars Christopher Eccleston and Billy Piper. First broadcast on the 7th of May, 2005. I'll read the synopsis out to you. Adam discovers the wonders of travelling in the TARDIS. In the far future, Satellite 5 broadcasts to the entire Earth Empire, but anyone promoted to Floor 500 is never seen again, and the Doctor suspects mankind is being manipulated. Does Adam have what it takes to become the Time Lord's companion? In short, no, he doesn't. Uh, no, Adam does not. So, that is what the description of that one is. Um... Maybe I, I have a couple of, uh, well, I guess we could give high-level thoughts. Let's do that before I go into trivia. What's your high-level thoughts of this story? <laughs> That's what my thought is, mate. Oh, dear. This one was a dud. Mm-hmm. A bit of a dud, this one. Yep. Came and went like a fart in the wind, this one. Didn't even... Barely registered this one, mate. Christopher Eccleston um, can't save this story? No, Christopher Eccleston, even he felt a bit bored in this one, mate. Yeah. And I felt uh, just just not, just lame, man. Mm. I have not much to say about this this episode. Mm. 
Would you say that this I, is I, the worst so far? Uh, Does it beat out far, the yeah, Aliens far, of London far, for you? Yeah, far, definitely. Gotcha. Uh, and that, that's saying something. I think Aliens of London, at least, you know, I was able to... I think part one of Aliens of ha- London was pretty strong. Have a good laugh. Yeah. yeah, totally, you know, and um, it has a solid payoff. Yeah. You know, not a solid payoff, but it has, but like a, it has, some- has a payoff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This just felt like just a nothing burger of a, of a story, man. Like, so, so- it felt like they had a bunch of, uh, they had a bunch of, random fucking sets and costumes and like fuck let's just quickly slap something together that's what it felt like to me yeah i can say that i can see why you'd say that um i don't know what to my high level thoughts would be that uh it's not one of my favorites um in new doctor who or the ninth doctor era um i would say that i fluctuate with between this and aliens of london two-parter as my least favorite ninth doctor story um, and I would say that those two for me, as in like Aliens London and this story, are, are clear, just bottom of the barrel Ninth Doctor for me. Um, I don't, I don't hate this story. I can watch it. Uh, I just, it doesn't particularly. I don't know. It just doesn't really do it for me. I, I suppose. I mean, Simon Pegg mm. is features in this story as the as the villain. He's serviceable. He's probably the only thing that's underwhelming, in my opinion. Yeah, underwhelming. He's I feel. he's really it was, the it only was thing. It's nice that's, to see him. Yeah, nice to see old Simon. Like I'm mm. a big fan, but bro, like, yeah, just um, I felt like he was just not there. Well, he's not Does even really sense? like the the lead villain, is he? He's like a a henchman to something, and um, he feels like he's going through the motions a bit. I mean, it's a stark difference to Dalek that we've just. Oh, kind of come off the back definitely. of where it feels like every actor in the story is like properly in, invested in the script and the script is asking very interesting things and and then to to back it up with this story uh hmm so high level thoughts low for us people uh, i think that sounds like it's pretty uh and, and i would say that's pretty universal to be honest among fans i'm going to give you some some episode trivia RTD had originally set out to write this episode from Adam's perspective, uh, watching the adventure unfold from his point of view exactly as he did with Rose, and seeing both the Doctor and Rose as kind of enigmatic, frightening characters. Um, He even gave the outline a working title, Adam, uh, as a reference to to Rose. So that's initially how he was thinking of writing the story. Simon Pegg later described Christopher Eccleston as old misery guts. So, sounds like Chris wasn't having too much fun on this story. I wonder if this is one of the stories with one of the directors that he talks about where he says the directors were pretty freaking incompetent and whatnot. I wonder. Mm. Guy never came back, I guess. So, maybe. Um, According to Russell, this episode was based on an idea which he'd submitted to Doctor Who production team in the early 80s so it must have been for a sylvester or a colin baker era story he'd submitted this for um whether it was ever read by a production team of the time is unclear uh, as davies received a rejection from the bbc script unit who advised him to write more realistic television about a man and his mortgage instead Davies reworked the story for the new series and then my last one i've got here is adam 
has the dubious distinction of being the first and to date the only known companion to have his TARDIS travelling rights revoked by the Doctor due to bad behaviour. Um, and there you go. Like, it was... I think if we if we dive on in, if you're happy to do that, um, it's pretty clear what the episode is trying to do. It's, it's trying to... Uh, show us why Rose is such a good companion, I suppose. Um, and it's trying to show you that the Doctor doesn't just accept everyone on board the TARDIS. Uh, Adam's meant to be, I suppose, the antithesis of Rose in the way he goes about things and and show us, you know, that the Doctor has some kind of a standard, maybe for new viewers who have never seen the show, perhaps, that it's trying to, like, make it make a point of it, because he's... He he's on board the TARDIS, and in one episode he's gone. So that's what it's trying to do. Um, I think that Adam. It's just so we arrive in the year two hundred thousand. We're on satellite five now. Uh, spoiler alert: This is a set piece that will come back. Um. And I think part of the reason that Davies wrote the story as it is is because it was meant to be a budget story. He was like, I need to write a story in this season to save on money, and so I'll write one where we reuse one of the set pieces. So we arrive, we the, the Rose kind of steps out of the TARDIS, we get you know a nice moment where Rose is doing the whole, like, I guess she's getting the info from the Doctor about where they are and what's going on so that she can almost relayed as if she's set it off the top of her head to Adam to impress him. Um, it's the fourth great and bountiful human empire, megacities and all that the Doctor talks about, covering the Earth population. I think he says it's like 96 billion on the planet. Mm. Um, so I guess it's classic from the start, in like world building from Russell, but it's really when we get to past the credit sequence and we meet like Suki and Kathika and whatnot, where it just becomes a little bit... I mean, at, at its at its core, the story is... I, I, would you say, Josh, like, it's a bit of a cliche in, like, just the whole, like, oh, you know, the floor 500's made of gold and uh, people who go up, they never come back kind of thing. It's, like, it's just a pretty yeah, it's basic... A play on the, yeah, it's a play on the whole, like... Hmm you know, beware of the afterlife, mm. what they've told you about the afterlife. Mm. It's not as, you know, it's not as like parad- great as they... It's not much of a mm. paradise, yeah. Um, yeah. And just, I think for me, the big the big standout right. for the whole episode is just how fucking just boring Adam is. Mm. How just lame he is, bro. Mm. You know, and I think, I don't know, he's meant to, it's part of the, you know, the process to show that he is not a worthy companion. Yep, yep. But um, just trying to think if there are any other analogs in Doctor Who of a companion doing something selfish and getting kicked off. No, the TARDIS. No, that's that's pretty much where like like this story Did- was like the trivia was saying it's like this is the only story where that that really happens properly. There's no other story Ooh, where I know. Yeah, I I yeah, I get that. But like, has has any other companion done? Something selfish, as selfish as Adam. Oh, I mean, I mean, if you want to go down that route, I guess the Fifth Doctor companion Turlo 
was solely brought about at the beginning to kill the Doctor. So, like, for the first three stories, that companion's objective is to try and kill the Doctor before he, like, yeah. turns good. That's probably And, and remind closest. me, does does Chris warn Adam? Does he lay down any, like, rules to say, hey, don't fuck around, don't do anything fucking selfish, you know, otherwise you're off? No, I don't think he does. He kind of just says to him, like, oh, you know, time travel's like, you know, you got that thing at the start where he's like, time travel's like... um you know, going to Paris, you know, eat eat rent, eat food, yada, 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 and end up kissing complete strangers. And then he goes, go on, go on, go off and do it and have fun and, you know, look after him. Yeah, so, like, so he doesn't give him anything, kind of, um, I guess, like, you're right. Maybe he doesn't give him enough, but I like the whole, what Adam's, tr- I think Adam knowingly throughout the story tries to deceive Rose and the doctor i mean he doesn't he doesn't come into contact with the doctor a hell of a lot like when he parts with the doctor in the story but he tells rose oh Mm -hmm. i think i've got to go back to the tardis or i've got to just just i've just got to just chill for a second like and then he knowingly goes off to use his credits somewhere else and there was going to be a storyline i read where his father like had something incurable um mm. and he and and he then kind of uses or exploits the fact that he's time traveling to find out the cure for the thing because it's been cured by the year 200,000 or whatever mm. um it was something as simple in the working script as like arthritis it was something like that but i don't know what it would have ended up being but like they in this story he we because we we know adam is already kind of like a scientist from dalek and mm. in this story, he finds that he can get this kind of information streamlined into his head. And he's he his thinking is, I'm going to record this. It's going to sound like, I guess, I don't know, white noise or whatever across, across the answering machine of the phone. But like, I can translate it because I've got the chip in my head and I understand it. So I'll get back to Earth and I'll translate it. And, but what was he going to do with it? I suppose. Like, it's... It's he knowingly definitely is trying to deceive Rose when he when he gets away from her to get back down to one of the other floors to try it out. Um and and how did he come aboard? Well he stowed away the TARDIS. Um uh, but, you know, the doctor knew that he was gonna come on board. And um I, I find it interesting in series one because I've always felt in this series, it felt like, especially when I was watching it, that anyone could come aboard the TARDIS. Like, mm. Rose joins him in episode one. He offers a spot to Mickey in the end of Aliens of London World War Three. Mickey declines. Then Adam comes on board. Then we get another companion later this season as well. Like, I've always felt that this season was very unique in the way that it really feels quite fluid, how, can, how people come and go. Like companion wise whereas i feel like Mm. most of the other seasons moving forward and you who stick with just one companion or you know maybe amy and rory or whatever and then that's it for the season but this one feels like people can dynamically come and go but is he Mm. that great of a character uh no you're right i think that's the intention of the character but he's just i mean what do you i guess what do you expect like the guys in one episode of doctor who really he's i mean he's in dalek but he's definitely not the center point of dalek that's all Chris and the Dalek, whereas this, he takes front center stage and his scenes are just, they're just, I guess, f- 
flat. And 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 like you said, like the whole yes, it's a play on the afterlife, I guess. Like, but it's all and it's all kind of you know the money men control things, the media are controlling things. Like we, it feels we shallow. We hear, it feels we, super, a bit shallow. You're getting, bro. The, yeah. the human beings on Earth are getting told what they want to be told, or or like the new that something's controlling the news corporation and the banks. Like he's like the guys, uh, the controller says he works for the he represents banks, and it's like is it just a play on masonry and like I know, but it's I like know, it's, here's the thing, it's. Mm. A good a good analogy to this a good parallel story to this is kind of like vengeance vengeance on Varos yeah is a similar yeah kind it of, kind I, of they yeah. play with similar similar ideas of of keeping a populist docile through the television right yeah yep. but we don't really see in in that in vengeance on Varos we see the um mm. the common people and there's all this like how they're kind of um yep. uh whisked up into the reality of, mm. of of the the shows that they're watching, but in this we kind of don't. Which it's it's kind of just I don't know. The stakes aren't really shown. I feel it's all just sort of spoken of in, in this. Yeah, one. you don't see Earth, do you? Like you don't see no. this fourth great bountiful human empire. What they look like, what's going on on Earth. You just see what look to be fairly ordinary looking humans that are dressed fairly twenty first century like. On this, uh, oh, yeah. on this ship in the year two hundred thousand, on this station, and um, I guess we get up there. They don't. I don't. We don't. Oh no, they do. They do explain it. They kind of explain that like that these they're zombified upstairs because the chips are in their head and the chips continue to to work. And so they do explain away the zombie thing at the top of the thing. But and then we learn that Suki's like a freedom fighter. Um, that's that's come aboard to kind of figure out what's going on on Satellite 5. So there's obviously some kind of resistance team down on Earth that knows or has suspicions. We're not really told much more than that. But it all kind of flies at us at, at, at light speed and it's all happening while there's this subplot of Adam getting his chip and like... Uh, it's funny, It goes man. on I, forever, man. It, it goes does. on forever, that it, fucking... That, that, Back and forth of is this gonna hurt? Is this gonna hurt? No, like, it's not gonna. No. It's gonna be expensive. Yep. Oh, um, I have this credit. Will this and work? Yes, it will. Like, would you like it? It's like, you know, <sighs> I got to be honest though, man. Even you know, it's not. It's not a great episode of Doctor Who by any stretch of the imagination. But goodness me, you could put it up against a lot of Whittaker stories, and it would feel like almost the best story in the in the uh, season. Maybe that's being harsh. There are some ridiculous stories that are probably more interesting to watch, but it definitely, like, that should tell you something, I feel, that you could put this story in some other, mm. in some other later seasons and it would be almost like, oh, that's the best episode of the season. That says a lot about it, I feel. Um, what else is there to say? I'm not sure. The Jagrafess is... is feels almost a bit too similar to the nesting consciousness in episode one, I feel, mm. as like the, mm, this yeah, big just kind a blob, of blob just a CGI that, that, that doesn't speak words. It yeah. just kind of says things and, and some of the, like in, in, in episode one, the doctor understands the, uh, the nesting consciousness in the long game. Uh, the controller understands the mighty um, Jagrafess of the Holy Hadrojaxic Maxwell Rodenfoe. And, um, I don't know. It feels very, I, I heard that even Nick Briggs did the 
the voice for the Jagrafest and then they had to cut it because it was too similar to the nesting consciousness that he did earlier. So I don't know, it just feels very same, same, I guess. And in a season where things have not felt complacent, this feels complacent a little bit. Uh, the, I feel like Christopher Eccleston's season of Doctor Who, Rose, feels like a complete reinvention of the show. The end of the world pushes it further and goes like, let's do Doctor Who in outer space in a way you've never seen it back in 2005. The Unquiet Dead takes us back into the past, and yes, it's in Cardiff, but like, let's do a historical figure. Doctor Who's never really done historical figures where the Doctor actually meets a historical figure properly. It doesn't really happen in Classic Who all that much, I don't think. Not mm. and not like they do it in something like The Unquiet Dead. And then we get a first alien invasion and um, whatever you think of it, like, yes, it's campy and whatnot, and I think that's the point of Aliens of London, but, like, it explores the whole thing of why do humans... Why in the Doctor Who universe have do they not remember old invasions that have happened? It does it, it at least ask that question and try a first kind of first contact story, and then Dalek completely flips the Doctor and the Daleks' relationship on its head. I feel in a way that has never really been done since and wasn't done before. This truly feels like a filler episode. It does. I think all yeah. all signs point to it being because we get the next episode's very meaty. The following story after I've seen that, the next episode, yeah, and I know it's great. It's know. proper great, so like proper great, like mm. and and I feel like that story is one that he had planned from the very beginning. Russell, like I, like the way he sets up Rose's father being dead in Rose, and then it gets mentioned to the maid Gwyneth, who can kind of foresee the future in the Unquiet Dead. We finally get a payoff next story, and it's got some extremely great scenes between Chris and Billy. Uh, and then the story after that, I would argue, is I don't want to get like, get too ahead of myself, but like the story after that is maybe my f- single favorite Doctor Who story of all time, maybe mm. or at least week to week story. It's it's all it it flickers between being my favorite of all time. So I feel like we we've got a lot of good stories in this first season, and this is and there's uh, there's another that people when it came out, it's a little bit later on in this series. There's another later on that that people quite didn't like when it came out, and it and it's had a complete 180 since, where it really does feel like a payoff to an earlier story again in the season. But it feels much, I think, it's infinitely better than that story, and it feels like a a uh, a cheap episode. When I say that, I mean it's reusing some old costumes, but it but it's. And it's saving on money for other stories, but it doesn't. It's so tightly written, I think, that it works. Whereas this just mm. doesn't. This doesn't have a lot to say. I don't think. I I don't think anyway. Doesn't have a lot to say. That's 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 interesting. Like the other one, kind of explores the Doctor's morality a little bit, and this one kind of explores Adam. But I guess Adam's just not that interesting, which is probably again what they were going for. But because he's not interesting and we spend all this time going back and forth and then the main plot of the week, maybe the main monster of the week is maybe the weakest of all the Eccleston stories. I just, it just doesn't all come together, does it? It all kind of does, it just, it all works against, it's just the perfect storm of like just things that are a bit naff, I suppose. You could see this, you could see this story being a like, 
late Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy story. You actually could see that. Mm. No, you totally could. And I'm in total agreement. You know, there's not much. I mean, it was a laugh seeing the face of Bo again. I thought to myself, fuck, how how old is this motherfucker? (laughs) You know, like, honestly, he's, it's the year 2000 and then what? The end of the universe, or the so end of the Earth. So he's there is in the, the year two hundred thousand, and then he's there in the year five five billion. <laughs> so <laughs> so he's he's meant to be one of the oldest life forms in the universe, and we do see him a couple more times. Uh, it's nuts. Coming and then get payoffs to him, but I think they say here is the channel's passing that the that he's pregnant. Yeah, which is kind of funny, but um, and then there's like. I don't know, it's funny, like, at the start, like, Adam, the the stuff that I enjoy is, like, before, I, I always enjoy Billy, truthfully. I just, I always enjoy Billy Piper, and mm. I don't know, the stuff that I enjoy in the story that I can't remember what I would have thought of it back in the day, but I just find it funny now, is, like, when they're, they're just walking around on the the food court deck talking and shit, and, like, Billy's, like, She's like, oh, it's kind of like a slush puppy. And I was like, oh, my God, fuck, remember slush puppies? And she's like, oh, it's, it tastes, it's like beef flavor. And, like, those scenes are kind of, I enjoy that kind of stuff. And I feel like maybe they just get split up too soon and then it becomes just Adam's weird little, like, I'm going to go off and do something bad. Like, I get that he's meant to be a bad, naughty companion, yeah. okay, but but he's just not... His performance is so bland as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fuck, dude. Like when, when, when he's left at the end. Yeah, yeah. Dude, just try and fucking sell to me that you you want to fucking go back with him. Literally, he's he's, he's, so he's like, like a doctor. Rose, please, Rose. Rose, please. my head. Take, what about my head? Take take like, me with you. Have- take me with you. Like, but I won't do it again or whatever. It's like, dude. Like, this guy is a time traveler. He's about to leave. Sell your case, brother. Sell your case Sell to your get case. back on board. Make man. your case big. Big, mate. Do like something. this is a time Or at traveler, least just man. just like, just fucking serious? like just just show me that like you're actually worried to live the rest of your life with this fucking trapdoor on your skull, brother. Like show me that that you you you're worried you you feel trepidatious about fucking going out in public mm. with that fucking thing on your head. Like show me that you're scared about that. No, he's just like oh you can't leave me like this. You need to help me help get it off. Me. Yeah, it's like dude, yeah, I guess you're right. It is just pretty flat overall. And and I said I love Billy and I do, but she doesn't save it. Chris doesn't save it. Now Chris has checked out. Chris this, is, man, I feel there's there's moments he's not even in it much. I feel like he's not even in this much for some reason. Like there's moments where maybe Chris I'm, is upstairs. Maybe I just drift, drifted off, bro. I don't maybe, know. There's moments where Chris is upstairs, and he's in. He's kind of like just listening to the whole villain monologue kind of thing. You know, we are the headlines. Mm-hmm. We can rewrite history, like because they want to get the TARDIS or whatever off him. And there's moments where Chris is just up there listening to. Simon Pegg's monologuing with his almost as much care as Tom Baker in the Planet of Evil when he's getting sent out into space in the pod to die in the part in one of the cliffhangers and he's just kind of laying there next to Liz Sladen like he's just he's a little bit checked out and about the 
funniest he gets is when he's like, you know, let me out of these manicules. You'll find it how much fun I am. And you're like, imagine Chris just beating this guy's ass down here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's funny when the ninth doctor threatens people. Like when he like, threatens to like, he's not just like, he's not like one of the doctors that's like, hey, this is what we could do. He's not a talker. He's like, hey, you let me out of these manicule, manicules. I'm going to beat your ass in the... Like he's just like straight beat. He's not. Him. He's not reasoning. He's not reasoning with Simon Pegg. Nah, he's not he's like, like he let me out, bro. Trying to debate, he, debate his ethics or anything. Nah. He's just like, hey, brother, you fucking let me out of here. I'll beat your ass. That's boy. kind of funny. <laughs> man. I love that Chris's doctor is a bit just. He's just brash. But like, yeah, he doesn't do a lot. He doesn't get to Dude, do. Simon a lot. was Simon was a letdown. He was. Simon, I guess. What are you he doing, was. Simon? Mm. Simon, like, I love you, bro. I love Shaun of the Dead. Mm. love you but like he kind of just stands around and just, smiles and laughs doesn't he uh, yeah yeah Simon fucking yeah. dude Simon he's just he, yeah I guess he's just not checked in is he he's, he's he's there he's doing it you know oh I love Doctor Who like I'm getting to I'm having he's a not a compelling fun. villain I feel he's, he's not just really a smiley a smiley laughy villain isn't he he is. That's what he is he's, he's your mate from drama class mm. he's, he's your mate from year 12 drama class you know doing a skit where he's pretending to be a maniacal fucking the head of a news corporation. You don't buy it. No. I think you just like, you know, just, yeah. mate, what are you doing? Come on, mate. Yeah. I think that this is, I think for me, if uh, I really, I've got to be honest, people, I, I just, I don't have a lot to say about it. I suppose. I know that sounds, I just don't. I think I have to get into my rating here. I think I do. I think, um, it's going to cut our losses, people. Mm. I think this one, cut it loose. Um, uh, I want to hear your rating. Oh, mate, I, I don't want to be swayed swayed oh, by your rating, but I want to hear it. For me, I'm going to give this a Thunder Nerd 5. Mm. I think for me, this is John Tracy Brutal. level. I think it is. I mean, yeah. is that is that terrible? Brutal. Have we given it? I don't think we've given a Thunder, a Thunder Nerd 5 for a Christopher Eccleston, but this to me is like, <laughs> there's not much going. I mean, and if it's a Thunder Nerd 4, it's it's the very bottom of of the barrel for a, for a Thunder Nerd 4. So I, th- I think this is Thunder Nerd 5 for me. It's not the worst story, I'll say. This isn't, for me, this is not the bottom Thunder Nerd 5 that I could rate it. There's stories coming that in New Doctor Who that will get that, but this is, this is Thunder Nerd 5. I don't think that it can escape it personally. For me... Um... It rattles me to the core because I, I was I'm, I'm I'm loving Chris's era way more than I was expecting to, but this is just this 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 episode kind of made me realise why maybe I did fucking I did I did have like a, a bias against New Who for so long, you know? Because there are these stories that are just sometimes just fucking filler. You know, oh, I got I, I, I like- think that that's that, that's. I feel like there's filler in classic Who as well. I mean, I don't. I there think, is. I think no, Doctor there Who is. inherently is a show that, because it tries things so many different things week on week, that it's just going to have stories. Maybe it's maybe it feels different in New Who because in classic there's not really ever a one part story. Maybe so, like maybe it feels less filler if if there's more episodes devoted to the one storyline. Maybe maybe if it's like a straight forty five minutes and you never see it again, it feels in you who worse potentially because there are ones that come and you go, man, this feels. I don't know. I can't think of a filler story in classic. Who I mean, you probably can. 
I think Death to the Daleks is pretty yeah, fucking that's filler. boring, in my opinion. That's a filler, 100%. nothing story. I mean, I mean, I know it's it's got us fans, but like, I can't think of many many classic Underworld. Doctor Who stories that are like Underworld's funny though. That's funny. I don't, yes. know, I, like, I don't, I don't love it though. Not by any stretch of the imagination. Like, there's, you could say that, I don't know. I would say that the Ribos operation is one I never revisit. That feels like a bit filler. Yeah, bit, true. Like true. maybe there's ones in the fifth. Uh, there's the Crotons as well. Yeah, or the Croutons. Crotons, whatever, yeah, yeah. Whatever it is. Then there's. I've seen that. That's that's definitely. Warriors yeah. of the Deep. Like there, there are stories yeah. that are that are just a bit. But I guess none of them are. Not there's not really many that are filler, maybe per se, like you said. Like they feel like they try things, I guess. Like even Warriors of the Deep, I would say that feels. But it's not filler. It's just not a great story. There is a difference. Actually. There are filler stories within. I mean, there are filler filler episodes within stories. Within like stories, true. The war, within the, like the oh, war games. True. No, that's a good point. Hey, there, there, there's a few episodes that are fucking snooze fest. Yeah, that's a good point. Know? And and um also. You know, you could argue, but as a, as a know, story, the there, there's less. Mm. I guess you're right. There's probably less filler in classic. Whereas, I mean, there's one of the what, oh, there's one of the mm. what's the fucking the, the the key to time stones of blood. Yeah, I think it's pretty. I don't feel feels pretty filler yeah, to me. There's a that, that, yeah. I don't I don't love stones personally. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. Yeah. There's a few, I guess, but um. No, nah, this is just. I'm never going to revisit this. I'm never going to rewatch this. This it story. It does feel just, like, like nah. what, you know, you don't want one of the because Chris is here for so little time. It feels like wasted time, doesn't it? To go like, oh, give me like <sighs> this is a whole episode that we could be doing something else. We only have thirteen with this guy, three of them being two parters. When you get a one off story like, oh, especially, man, I think it. I think it really suffers, like. I mean, I think it's already, like, for every reason we've already highlighted, I think it's already a weak story. But to be wedged between Dalek and Father's Day is is brutal. Like, Oof. it makes it, like, five times <sighs> worse, oh, I think. It, it really magnifies it's almost, it. It's almost fucking torturous, mate. Mm. It's very torturous. Yeah, I think it just highlights its kind of problems all the more. But anyway, look, I'm looking. I'm really looking forward to Father's Day. I've been waiting to talk about this one for a while because I think it's a it's a really strong story by Paul Cornell. And then we'll do Star Trek next week. I can't remember on our last Star Trek episode if we mentioned what the next story was. I think we may have, and I think you may have said from memory that you haven't seen this one potentially. On wait a second, I think, did I, think, I? I think did I give did I give mm. did I give my rating? For Thunder Nerds? No, did I don't I give think you did. Rating? I don't think you did. I think that's how. Fucking you, little you're on I, the, you're I, on, I, I care about mm, this episode, mm, people. What would you give it? I, I didn't even care that I didn't give it a rating. What would you give it's it? It's just like a middle, mid-range Thunderbird 5. Not like you said, not nothing egregious. Yeah. You know, yeah. just, um, it's just your underachieving child, isn't it? Mm. That's what it is. <laughs> Oh my you know God. what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You love Chris, you know, yeah. you love you love Doctor Who, but this is Yeah. Tell you, this is um this is not one that you put a lot of effort into. No. When you're raising. No. Maybe. I think you're right. <laughs> I, I think you're right. I think that it's just a bit naff. I think I think from memory the next Star Trek episode is um one that has a return of the um The Ferengi. Yes, the Ferengi. True. Yeah, that's what I think you said. Can, can you remember if you've seen it? 
No, I haven't. No, you haven't. No. Cool. All right. Well, that's our next one, Uncharted people. Uncharted territory. Excited for that. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll I'll keep an eye out for news. If I see a, I mean, I just I, if I see a good bit of news, I'll I'll cover it. I just I couldn't do a whole podcast just for the Millie thing. It was just it was the it's dropping very few and far between at the moment. Unfortunately, news. We have to. It. I mean, we should. I mean, we've talked about this off off air, right? We should do a like a proper deep dive mm. into into the subject of of Disney and Doctor Who. I think. Yeah, yeah, we definitely should. We've talked about that. We have talked about that off air. Um, I think we might do that. It is definitely of the t- of the times at the moment. People are talking about it. I don't think it'll go away. I think if anything, it's only going to get more prevalent and interesting to talk about as we near towards the new season. I think we we look at it, people, and we say, hey, let's give it until the end of this finale coming up in Shooty's first season, and then let's reassess the scenario and say, where do we think we stand? How how concerned are we about Disneyfication in Doctor Who? Or are all our fears kind of swept away? Because I think I've had some time to think about the church on Ruby Road. Uh, and I would say, I might actually do this right now. Give me a second. Give me two seconds, okay, people? Because I'm going to, I, I wrote down when I was speaking with a mate the other day, I wrote down what I would what I would give for the introductions of new doctors in New Doctor Who from, from, from least favorite to favorite stories. Um, and I'm going to tr- see if I can find it for you to read it um here's what i would say there's been seven introduction stories in new doctor who my least favorite is the star beast i i didn't love the Mm. star beast i would say that that's my Mm. least favorite introduction of a new doctor i know he's not a new actor to play the doctor but like the 14th doctor was new that was his first story that's my least favorite of new doctor who then it's Woman Who Fell to Earth. And I would say that there's quite a margin between the Star Beast and the Woman Who Fell to Earth. I still think Jodie's first story is actually one of her strongest, maybe her strongest story. Actually, probably not her, her strongest, but it's well up there in her top three or four. And it's a shame that it went downhill after that. I would say that five, for me, is Church on Ruby Road. I think that mm. it's that far down after seeing it four or five times that's not to say i didn't enjoy it i did enjoy it but uh i just think i i still think that tenant's first story christmas invasion tops it it comes in at number four for me because i think it does a really excellent job of actually keeping tenant out of the loop for a lot of the story um and showing the absence of the Doctor. I feel like it does something that we hadn't really seen before where, you know, Sarah Jane in Planet of Spiders kind of just accepts Tom Baker as the Doctor. Whereas, like, it's interesting that 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 Billy Piper, that Russell T. Davies almost has Billy Piper's Rose mourn and grieve for, for the Ninth Doctor. Like... There's things that happen in the Christmas invasion where she's like, you know, my doctor wouldn't do that. The proper doctor, he he'd wake up and save us all. And she's really 
not liking the tenant doctor at the beginning. And I, I just thought it was a really interesting choice and it's it's well made. So I would say that that comes in for me at four. Rose is my th- is is number is three for me. And then Capaldi's Deep Breath at two and Matt Smith's Eleventh Hour is number one of New Doctor Who intros for me by like a country mile, I would say. Eleventh um, Hour is the best, mate. It, it's unbelievable best. as an introduction for a, for a Doctor. It's probably the best introduction of a Doctor period uh, in, in I would say, um, out of even Classic Who, I think. It's just extremely strong. Um, so that's, yeah, it's interesting. Like it comes in about fifth. So it's about middling for me in terms of new Doctor Who intros. But when I watched it, really loved it. But when I just actually stacked them all against each other, I went, you know what? Actually, it's probably not in my top three of new Doctor's intros. So I guess we see, we see, we, we wait and we see in May and not, not long, I suppose, to wait, but I, I, I'll, as the news does ramp up, and I'm sure it absolutely will, I will ramp up some news podcasts for you all to listen to. Do you have anything else to add, Josh, before we wrap it up? Nothing from me. Nothing from you? Nothing from me. All right, people. Uh, thanks for listening. If you are enjoying the podcast, um, hit the follow button um, wherever you're listening to us. Uh, give us a rating that does help um if you've got any questions for us please uh feel free to email them through thundernerd one is go at gmail.com that's the numeral one thundernerd one is go at gmail.com until then switching to horizontal flight <laughs>